Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. Sabrina is sadly not with us today. She is having a personal day, which I think is completely and totally unacceptable because I don't get personal days. So there. That being said, super excited about our guest today, Lisa Roth, co-creator and brand manager for Rockabye Baby. Before I have you explain what is Rockabye Baby, I have to tell you, I wish that was around when my son, who's now 20, was little. Explain what Rockabye Baby is. Rockabye Baby is lullaby renditions of your favorite rock, pop, hip hop, country, Latin, and everything else artists. They are instrumentals only, so you don't have to worry about, you know, the lyrics. But Um, you can sing along. That is the point. It is a baby product created for adults. It's something that we hope creates a bridge between who you were pre-baby and who you're becoming as a parent. Very often, the things you love get put on the back burner temporarily, and hopefully this brings a little nostalgia, a little something, you know, familiar and enjoyable that you can indeed sing along to. Um, And in this day and age, we hope to provide rest and relaxation for everyone, not just (laughs) babies and their parents. So less cowbell, more glockenspiel. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You have our palate down. (laughs) So how do you pick the songs? Because I mean, when I was looking at it, you've got everything from Metallica, to Lady Gaga, to hip hop, like you said, to country. What was the first song you changed from rock to lullaby? Good question. We released three albums at once. We released uh, Radiohead, Metallica, and Coldplay. This was almost 15 years ago now. Those God, I can't believe Coldplay's around, was, was around for that long. I know. Can you believe it? No. I can't believe I've been around this long. But um, uh, yeah, so those were the first three albums. We released three at once so that we could create a series immediately. And at the time, Rock by Baby was a mostly rock series. And the irony of it was the thing. Lullaby renditions of Metallica, lullaby renditions of Radiohead, eventually lullaby renditions of Tool or Nine Inch Nails. It was fun to say. But over the years, we started adding more genres because I always say every genre has its rock star. 
And, um, and we chose those three albums so that we could cover three different areas of rock. But the way we choose our releases, we put together a release schedule a year in advance, six to eight artists. Sometimes we throw in a special project and we choose those artists by listening to our customers on social media, talking to the staff at the label. The label is staffed by music lovers with deep knowledge. We think about what's trending. We pick something classic. Um, yeah, and we kind of the team talk about it and we put together a release schedule, which is flexible and changes, but that's kind of how we do it. How do you though pick the songs? How did you pick the original mm -hmm. songs? Right. And then how do you go to the artist? I mean, there's a whole process here. Yes. We got to be legal. Yeah. Um, the legal process is we own the sound recordings that you're hearing, but we don't own the original composition. Right. So what's the reaction when you go to an artist and you said, like in the very beginning, hi, Metallica, I want to turn your songs into lullabies. And they like, what? Or, yeah. you know, I mean, that, how does, <laughs> start, with, start with the first phone call. And like, okay, so how did you pick Metallica? Well, we love the idea of lullaby renditions of Metallica and what we do on every album as far as how we pick the actual songs. We pick a compilation of their biggest hits, some deep tracks, some personal favorites. We like to have 10, 12, 13 songs that kind of cover that artist and you know, well, so it's like a best, it's literally a best of album. Yeah. Each album is like a best of at that point in time. Um, and then what we do, we approach the owner of those compositions, which is usually a publisher. And so it would be very rare to be talking to the actual artist. The publisher okays or doesn't okay a mechanical license for each track. And a lot of tracks these days, especially, have many, many, many cuts. Like there are many publishers involved in one song. So you're very often reaching out to a number of people for each track. And we acquire a license. And then we distribute an album to one of several producers that we've been working with. Um, and then it goes from there. And it's, it's a bit. Who, who rewrites the, the music? Because it is a sort of slowed down, different kind of in instrumental. Do you have, you know, uh, you know, orchestrators? Do you have, what do you have? Like when they take the song, how do they break it down? Another good question. One tries. So, <laughs> so we distribute an album to one of three producers we've been working with for years. And to be honest, it sounds ridiculously silly, but creating a lullaby rendition of a rock, pop, hip hop song is a little bit of an art form. And it's something that we have kind of perfected over 15 years. And in fact, it doesn't require slowing down 
I'll give away one little secret. Initially, we tried that, but it wasn't good. So you don't actually slow them down. But our, um, our producers deconstruct every song and put it back together using our Rock by Baby palette of instruments, which are, as you mentioned at the beginning, Glockenspiel. I just like saying Glockenspiel. Yeah. <laughs> Glockenspiel. <laughs> well, you were right on point. Glockenspiels, bells, wood blocks, um, sound effects, things like that. Because the songs put- are definitely recognizable. Hopefully. I mean, they're Hopefully. definitely recognizable. Yeah, well, we want something that's calming and soothing, but that retains the initial intention of the artist. And that really is a little bit of an art form. And um, and then the producer deconstructs every song on that album, sends it back to me and my production partner, James Curtis. And we sit and we listen to every note of every song and we critique it and send those first drafts back to the producer and they retweak. It goes back and forth like that eight, 10, 12 times sometimes. How long does it take to get one song completed? It can take anywhere from three weeks to months. It depends on how difficult a song it is. Um, Yeah, it can take a lot of time or none at all. Um, have you t- actually had to deal with any of the artists or have you heard from any of the artists after the fact? We hear, yes, we have. We had uh, Steven Tyler of Aerosmith write the liner notes. Uh, Joe Elliott from Def Leppard wrote liner notes. We've heard Elton John, Kirk Hammett from Metallica mentioned it. us. Um, uh, Elton John was has talked about it several times with both his kids. Um, And we've been approached by publishers to rock a by their artists, which is always nice. We don't, I kind of prefer to um, make your own choices. I prefer to let things happen organically and not reach out to artists to promote us or things like that. That's a little uncomfortable for me, but um, but we do hear, we hear a lot of people mentioning us in the press or on television. And that's always nice because you live in a bubble and kind of forget that it actually gets out there in the public and people notice. Have any of the artists reached out and said like, oh my God, I love your rendition or I'm so flattered that you put us on this album? Uh, I haven't heard that exact message, but the Close, line is similar. The liner notes were very complimentary. Um, I have heard people very pleased. Elton John. Yeah. You can't ask for a better endorsement no. than that, especially in the kid world now. Yeah. yeah. So you come by this very honestly. You have a fascinating, which I know we could compare notes, family <laughs> history. Your brother is David Lee Roth. Your uncle or godfather was Bob Dylan. So you grew up in a very, no? No, my godfather. I wish my godfather was Bob Dylan. No, I had an uncle who owned the Cafe Wa. He built the Cafe Wa in the village. 
Which, by the way, my my mother performed. Right. And she always said that my uncle owed her money with a little (laughs) wink in her eye. And my uncle always said, it's not true. (laughs) By the way, knowing club owners, probably true. Probably back (laughs) in the day. Back in the day, probably true. Yeah. So you come by this whole world very honestly. Yes. My, the story about Bob Dylan is he came into, when his last name was Zimmerman, he came into the Cafe Wa looking for a job. And my uncle gave him a job washing dishes and asked around if anybody had any place for him to stay. And he kind of righteously declared that he didn't think this kid was going to go anywhere. But turns out Uncle Manny was wrong. Um, But he wasn't my godfather. He was Uh, your action. But that was, I read that somewhere. So I would own it. I would just own it and say, yes. Why not? Uh, Why not? My Um, brother, on the other hand, is truly my brother. And um, he's actually a bar for me when I create these things because um, I want artists to be, um, to like what we do, to be complimented by what we do. I don't want it to be a joke and silly. And I watched what it took for my brother to do what he did back in the day when there was no YouTube or social media. And those guys pounded the pavement for years within 200 mile radius. What you're referring to for people who don't know is Van Halen. Van Halen. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. Just for those of us who, I mean, I know, but we do actually have <laughs> listeners that uh, were born after the whole, the whole Van Halen thing. Right. I guess that was my next question was because if you're 10 years apart in age, no, correct. No younger sister, 10 years apart. Okay. So how far apart are you in age from David? Three years, three years. That's still in your teenage years, a big jump. So I was going to say, and I guess you can also answer for your younger sister. How did it get you cool points or made fun of points? Because your brother was extremely outrageous, even by the standards of the 80s, in his look and his moves and his performance style. You know, I, yeah. I can say again, I speak from kind of living in a world where you had a, a relative that was outrageous. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's actually kind of fun to talk to you, even just on this level, because as you know. It's an experience, it's emotional to talk about because it's an extraordinary experience in a lot of ways that's very special and a lot of ways that are difficult and in a lot of ways, depending on your circle, that separates you from people because you have experiences in life that are- Vastly different than the norm? Yeah. And, um, and so uh, I, you know, I was very young when those guys started rehearsing together. I think, you know, I was probably 14 years old and I listened to them at the kitchen table rehearsing in the basement. And so as I came of age, I was living my own life 
and there really wasn't any feedback from anyone. When they hit it big, I was an older teenager and um, I don't remember being embarrassed. I, I think I was just, it, it happened so gradually that it wasn't like overnight success. Well, there is no actual thing what people don't realize is overnight success. At all, right? Yeah. So it was just part of this gradual thing that was happening. And so it was exciting and I was so happy for them, but it was like a smooth transition into the next level of this whole crazy thing. I think later on, you feel um, protective when the press says things that you know are absolutely not true. You feel proud, you feel um, hurt when they get hurt or, or criticized. Um, but I don't remember really being um, attacked or approached in a negative way personally. Oh my God. I used to like crawl under the table about stuff that my mom said and people would like, my friends would like make fun of me or I'd have to go to school and be like, Oh, oh dear my God, goodness. why did you say that? Yeah. Well, that would be, that would be really hard. I think, you know, I hear about them in the press now more recently. And it's, you know, now that there's been so many decades under one's belt, there's a lot said um, sort of retrospectively. And so much of it is so wrong or skewed or um, just not true at all. And I die a little bit inside. I just want to like protect and yell at people and go, that's not how it is. <laughs> that's not how it happened. Trust me. No. I know, I know that. Yeah. Um, you did not take a straight line between point A and point B to where you are. You started out as a nutritionist and became the nutritionist for a record label. <laughs> Is that accurate? That's accurate. Okay. How? I mean, I know that people take weird, you know, non-straight line routes to, you know, they kind of just fall into things. But that even for me, I went, what the fuck? <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, well, let me put it this way. I grew up in a medical family. My father was a surgeon who was also a writer and, uh, you know, uh, someone who loved film, owned an extra uh, equity waiver theater. My mother was a, an artiste and an esthete. So we had this mixture in our world. And so when, when I, your brother put on eyeliner, it wasn't that alarming. He never wore eyeliner. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just using that as a general. Okay. When he would go through cans of hairspray. When by he the case. buttless chap. Yeah. I mean, there were some moments where your father and mother must have been like, oh, dear God. No, again. <laughs> your grandparents was, are going to see this. Again, it was a gradual. <laughs> I forgot guy. about the buttless chaps. That's a moment that makes a parent proud. <laughs> 
The guy came out of the womb kicking and screaming. And then later on, he made money doing yeah. it. So but how did you get from nutritionist to you run a record label? Well, or you okay. did. And then you have Rockabye Baby. So my father was a doctor, wanted nothing more than for his one of his kids to be a doctor. When I was 14 years old, not to delve too deep, my mother had a horseback riding accident and suffered a traumatic brain injury. And my path got interrupted. It was a humongous um, event. And I would say for years after that, all I could manage inside what it felt like was putting one foot in front of the other. The idea of creating big picture goals was no longer a luxury. I showed up back in the day. There was not a lot of support or a protocol for families going through that. And in retrospect, I was traumatized and depressed. And yet I came from a family of extraordinary people who accomplished extraordinary things. And I felt this pressure to do something. The closest I could get to medical school um, because of where I was at was nutrition. And my father's mother was an immigrant from Eastern Europe who came here in the early 1900s and was incredibly interested in nutrition. And if she had been born any other time later, she probably would have been a doctor or a scientist herself. And I thought that interests me, what you eat, um, how you think about yourself is physical what you think and feel is physical and that I can pursue that I can manage. And I did. And I practiced for 20 years here and in New York. Um, you're referring to the record label. I was hired by um, EMI records and worked with their executives and some of their touring um, artists Um but I also which is such a such an entertainment business thing that the label hires a nutritionist. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta admit that is that's very entertainment business. Oh my god! Well, and that was in the '90s, and yeah, I was a glorified babysitter, and I would show up at the hotel kitchens and give instructions and actually cook myself with humongous pans and big jugs of stuff and a grocery shop in Paris when we were there. And um, it was, it was a very nineties experience. It was. Yeah. And people, people are always like fascinated by that. Yeah. So how did you go from nutritionist to, I mean, so we under, we got the step from nutritionist to working with artists and a label. When did you transition to sort of, I mean, being an artist and creator yourself? Well, I had another career in between. I worked as a segment producer for Discovery and National Geographic programming because I love two of my favorite two of my favorite networks. Yeah, well, and I loved documentaries, and I thought this would be a way to learn segment produce for documentary style television. 
I did it for five years. It was not my cup of tea. I loved telling stories. I loved writing. I didn't love handing it over to an editor and watching the entire intention of the piece change. But I did that. And um, plus, when you're a segment producer for networks like that, you have access to the best information. And if you're the least bit of a research junkie and sort of a proverbial student, um, it's a wonderful job to be able to reach out to all the great um, people with the knowledge. But I did that for a while. Um, and then I was introduced to the owner of CMH Label Group, David Harley. And um, he invited me to his label to do some nutrition lectures for his employees. And I thought, well, that's a very cool company that would do that. And I did that for a little while. And at the time he had a, a business partner who offered me a job with the label. It had no title, it had no description. He just thought it would be a good idea. And I wasn't working and I needed to work. And I said, okay. And the first week I was there, I went shopping for a baby shower gift and I wanted to find music for a friend who loves music. And I couldn't find anything that hit the nail on the head that I was excited to give. And I went back to the owner of the company and I said, we need to get into the baby business. We need to create something for the adult that's for the baby too, and call it like baby's first sex pistols or baby's first something. And my coworker at the time, Valerie Aiello, came up with the um, concept lullaby renditions of Metallica. And it was green lighted. And for a year, we developed it. And that was Rockabye Baby. Which and is a, a great, great, but for people who haven't heard it, it's, and it's a genius gift. Um, well, thank you. So what's, so what's next? I mean, you've definitely, you know, you don't seem like you sit still very long. No, I was, my, we were taught by example, but also verbally that it's great to change horses in the middle of the stream. You don't have to be good at just one thing. And, uh, and, you know, I'm still looking for my passion. This is, I'm like always seeking. That's how I end up and bump into these things. Um, what's next for me personally is, you know, honing my voice, my own personal voice in my own medium, which I love to write. I love to chat. Who knows? For Rockabye Baby, um, we're always looking for new vehicles, new partnerships. Um, there are some things on the table that we're excited about. Um, hopefully things that have a little irony to them, the same as the brand itself, some partnerships that might be surprising to people, a lullaby partnered with a brand or company that's 
not expected, merchandise. Um, so a lot. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Well, Lisa, it has been fascinating. I think Rockabye Baby is brilliant. Thanks. And I know whatever you touch next will be brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you.